new here, we particularly want to welcome you. If you've never been to a church service before where they had a 10-minute time of greeting, um, we want you to know that that's an intentional part of our worship service. Something that's really important to us here at ECC in connection is seeing people from different parts of campus, even different age groups, and all different areas of involvement get to know each other and build friendships. And so that's why we do that, so you can get to know new people. And then you can continue to build friendships as we have dinner together afterwards. Um, how about that uh, the smell of that chicken lasagna? That smells delicious. Um, it's kind of distracting. But we want you to know that we, we don't just have a time of greeting. We don't just do dinner for kicks. Um, as much as we love to feed you, um, we do that so that you can build friendships. So you can get to know each other. And the idea is that those friendships will be something that you can use to encourage each other in your walk of faith in Christ. That maybe after you get to know somebody and see them a few times here at Connection, you'll go out and grab coffee and you can talk about uh, what, you're, what you're going through, what God's doing in your life. You can share your faith, encourage each other, support each other, because I know a lot of you have big things going on, uh, things that are exciting, things that are really hard, and we all need community, and so I hope that you can find that here. Uh, if you are new, we'd love it if you sign up for our email list. You can do that over there in the Welcome Center. We also have small groups you can get connected with. Um, we have a men's ministry, Men 12.2, starting up this Wednesday. So that's going to be fun. Come on out. We have uh, college guys and adult guys. We break up into small groups, have a little time of teaching. It's a good way to get to know older adults here at the church. We also have a ministry team of adults here from our church. Guys, raise your hands. Um, these are some stellar folks who I recruited to be here because they want to get to know you. Uh, talk about life and faith. Um, they're all super old, like at least 25. Um, and so they, they've been where you've been, and God has worked in their life, and you know they're still going. So you, you want to get to know these people. Um, what else do we need to cover? Spring break mission trip. If you don't have spring break plans, or even if you do, you should cancel them and come on our spring break trip. We're going to the Dominican Republic. Uh, I'm serious. We're going to the Dominican Republic with a group called Mission Emmanuel. I am really excited about this group. We went with them two years ago. They have a holistic approach to ministry wherein they do medical care, water purification, they plant churches, they have schools for kids. Uh, they're going, um, what they like to say, I said this last week, they go an inch wide and a mile deep in their investment in the city of Santo Domingo. And I had a great time being there for a week two years ago, and so I'm looking forward to taking a team of students. Next week is our deadline for registrations. And so if you want to go chat with me after the service, you can find info over there and sign up. Also, something super exciting, the first annual Connection Ski slash Snowboard Trip. Yes, let's hear it for that. Uh, February 13th. You guys have heard a lot about Aspen, Colorado, and Tahoe. And Paoli Peaks is the Aspen of Indiana. Uh, that is a, that photo, that's not photoshopped, guys. That's not photoshopped. That is the Paoli Peaks. Um, it's a great time. And so we're going to take a group of students there. We're going to take a group there. February 13th, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. The cost is 72 bucks, but if 15 of you sign up, then it knocks $9 off our fees, which is pretty sweet. Um, we'll need some people to drive, so if you want to do that, we need you. Um, also, uh, on the sign-up list, check out the sign-up list. It's the white sheet, because snow is white and we're going skiing. And, um, Sean White has signed up. Lindsey Vaughn has also signed up. And who's the other famous here whose name I wrote down? Bodie Miller. Bodie Miller has signed up. 
So you guys don't want to miss out on this. This is yeah, all the elites trained at Paoli. So where do you want to be? All right, let's well, good for our announcements. Why don't we uh, why don't we collectively quiet our hearts here and pray? Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you now and we. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, words that were written 2,000 years ago are just as powerful today. God, we pray that in the next uh, 20, 25 minutes that you would speak to our hearts. God, sometimes uh, we come to scripture and we presume that we already have gleaned everything that we can from it. I ask that you would forgive me of that. I pray that you would forgive us of that. And we just invite you to be here, that your spirit would speak to us in a new and fresh way tonight, that... Uh, these words of truth about who we are as your people and how we're called to live in response to the good news of the kingdom of God that's come to earth in Jesus Christ would just transform the way that we approach our lives and our relationship with you and uh, with other people. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we started a new sermon series. We're calling it Life in the Kingdom. And so what we talked about last week is how the coming of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ has brought to earth a completely new reality. Because Jesus Christ has come, life will never be the same. God has invaded time and space. And so we talked about how the way that we once viewed life can't be the way in which we view life anymore because the game has changed. And oftentimes the reality that is now ours as followers of Christ, it can be kind of counterintuitive. We studied a passage of scripture known as the Beatitudes last week. And the Beatitudes takes us through these paradigms where we read these things and it's like, wow, blessed are the poor in spirit. Like, that sounds terrible, but you're telling me this is blessed now. All these things where it only makes sense because God has come. God is redeeming people. He's drawing people to himself, bringing them into relationship with himself, all because of his grace. God is restoring humanity to relationship with him. He's bringing his creation back to the way he intended it to be. And so... In scripture, we see this beautiful picture of the Gospels. Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, coming to earth through miracles, miraculous things happening. People being healed. We see stories of people who are dead coming to life again. Things that only make sense because God has entered time and space. Uh, the Beatitudes, these paradigms that talk about this completely new reality. We looked at three of them in particular. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's those people who come to Christ with this knowledge of their need, their deep recognition of their need for God to enter into their story and give them grace, who will receive grace because they'll be those who are desperate enough to come and look to Christ in faith. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's those people who know that they're not righteous in themselves who will admit they don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. I don't have righteousness by my own doing. I need someone to give me their righteousness, someone who's perfectly good, and only Jesus Christ is able to offer us that. It's those of us who recognize that hunger inside of us and say, God, I have a hunger inside of me. I have a yearning that only you can satisfy. It's those of us who take that hunger and thirst, who come and find the water, the well that will never run dry, the bread that leads to eternal life in Jesus Christ. And it's blessed Blessed are those, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's those people who see God with their full hearts who will experience the full blessing that comes from knowing Him and enjoying life with Him. 
And so those truths, for the original listeners, those were absolute game changers in the way that they thought about relationship with God. And they're game changers for many of us today. So many of your peers think that the life of faith is about me saying, I need to get myself together and be a very good religious person and earn my way to right relationship with God by how devoted I am, how obedient I am, by all those boxes I know I need to check off in my life. And if I feel like I'm doing well today, then that means me and God are all right. But if I'm not doing my part, then God loves me a little bit less uh, if he loves me at all. And that's just a complete sham. <laughs> Jesus Christ tells us that it's those who come to him with their need. It's those of us who are poor in spirit and come to him and repent of our sin and ask him for grace who will receive it. And so it's not about our religious efforts. It's not about our efforts to just be really good people, really moral people that make us right with God. That's not where life is found. But on the other side of the coin, when we have that yearning, when we have that hunger and thirst inside of us, when we're looking for fulfillment and thinking about where fulfillment in life is found, it's not found in our own efforts to achieve a life of satisfaction by our own doing either, whether that's through our accomplishments, through our desire to live a life that seems significant. If I know what I'm doing really matters, then I can rest. If I know that I'm really successful and using the gifts I feel like God has given me, or I've made a name for myself where the people who know me back home can say, wow, that guy's really got something going, then I can rest. No, that's not where life is found. Life is found in right relationship with God, which is made available to us by faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's the good news of the present kingdom, that God has come, he's entered into our story, the game has changed. We are able, by his grace, to know him and to live lives that are truly meaningful, lives of truth, lives in which we can partner with God in his redeeming work in the world. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. We're going to explore a passage that actually comes right after the Beatitudes. And this passage instructs us on how we are called to live as followers of Jesus Christ in the world, as God works in our lives. And so I want to read that passage for you. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Before I read this passage, I was hearing some feedback that it was super cold in here, and so I turned it up one degree, and now it's like super sweaty. Is anybody else here? <laughs> All right, back on track. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So let me tell you a story. In the year 1926, my great-grandfather, Hans Rudolf Leuenberger, how's that for a name? <laughs> Poor guy. It's hard enough being Josiah Leuenberger, let alone Hans Rudolf Leuenberger. <laughs> I couldn't spell my last name until I was in sixth grade. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> my great-grandfather came over from Switzerland, and I'm, I'm going to get you to this story. Uh, I'm telling it for a reason. He came over here, and he was actually a blacksmith back in Switzerland, and he tried to take up that profession in the city of Pittsburgh, where he immigrated to. But when he got there, it was right before the Great Depression, and so he couldn't find a job. And my grandfather started this corporation called H.R. Leuenberger Steel, and my family has a lot of pride in that. 
We're really proud of this. Uh, we love to drive past H.R. Leuenberger Steel whenever we're in Pittsburgh. He makes railings, and he actually made uh, some of the support structure for the largest building in Pittsburgh, the steel building. It's really exciting. But when my grandfather came over from Switzerland, he was from this town called Bern, which was super pretty. Um, that's not what Pittsburgh looks like at all. Um, Pittsburgh at that time was like this massive cloud of smog, and it would look like night when it was 11 a.m. Um, and I had to put this up too. That's the Bern bear. My family's from the city of Bern in Switzerland. Is that not the most like bad-looking bear you've ever seen? You're like, God. If you ever want to know which car is mine out there, it's the truck that has a sticker of the Bern bear on the tailgate. Um, and I have a massive Bern bear tattooed across my entire back. <laughs> And you're never going to know if I'm serious or not. <laughs> and so when my, when my great-grandfather came here from Switzerland, he was thankful for the new opportunities he had to be in America. Uh, there were so many new opportunities for him, but it was also a really hard thing because the culture was entirely different. And something that was really important for him was to find a sense of community and a place to be with other people who were experiencing the same thing. <coughs> And uh, interestingly enough, when I was a kid, my family used to go to these Swiss-American society picnics where other people who were going through that same thing, that big change of culture, could be together, share their stories, and just um, enjoy a meal of some good German potato salad and all kinds of fried meats, things that you eat in Switzerland. Um, and so, interestingly enough, that's where we actually met my, my great-grandmother. She was a Swiss immigrant as well, and so uh, her family was dairy farmers, and... Uh, Fun story, that's the Blumenberger family history quiz after class. Anyways, the reason I share that story is because my great-grandfather, when he came here, he was the same person he was back in Switzerland, but the way that he lived as a Swiss person in America was not the same. Reality had changed for him. He couldn't run around and act like Pittsburgh was Switzerland. That sure ain't Pittsburgh. Um, the game had changed. Reality was entirely different, and so he had to recognize that the way he would be a Swiss person in America would be different from how he would be a Swissman back home. And the reason I share this story is so you all can understand what it looks like to be a person in a new reality by people who've been saved by God in his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We need to recognize the way that we relate to the world is different. We're never going to be the same as we were before we were saved by God's grace. We have to think, what does it mean for us to live as people who have been shown mercy? What does it look like for us to be people who show God's grace through the way that we live? And this passage gives us two really powerful images for thinking about that. Uh, the first image that we see there is salt. Verse 13. Uh, let me go back to the passage here. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And so I don't know if you were in worship Sunday morning last week, but Pastor Bob actually talked about this. Salt was kind of a big deal back in the ancient Near East. And salt served a variety of purposes. It was used to flavor food. It was used to preserve food. It was even used as a fertilizer in small doses. It was used as an antiseptic. And so salt had a variety of purposes. It also was something that represented purity in Jewish tradition. However... The people that Jesus is speaking to here, they're right along the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Dead Sea, which was actually a giant lake. I don't know why they called it a sea, um, but that's for another sermon. And anyways, the Dead Sea, this water was salt water. However, it was also polluted with gypsum uh, and a variety of other minerals. And so after a time, this salt 
could lose its saltiness. It would no longer be useful for those purposes to which people found it so beneficial in this culture. And so what Jesus is warning his people of here, the people he's speaking to with this image, is he's telling them that they are to be people who are a contrast to the world around them and the way that they live their lives as people who are affected by their good news. Their lives should look different as a result of God meeting them with his grace, as a result of them knowing that the kingdom is here and that life will never be the same. And so, like the effects of salty salt, those who are following Jesus Christ in faith, they should be a positive, uh, they should make a positive impact on the world around them. They should be a benefit to the world as they live in a distinct way due to the fact that they've been impacted by the good news of the present kingdom. They could counter effect, uh, they could counteract the effects of sin and produce good fruit in the world because of God's rule in their heart and his rule in the world. And so the challenge that Jesus issues to his listeners here is one to continue to be distinct, to be distinct in every area of their life because God has entered into every area of their life. To be distinct in the way that they live. And so the challenge is don't be taken over by anything other than the good news. Don't be impure. Don't let your heart be tainted by anything other than the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ and the reality that he has entered into your life, the reality that you are new and that he is making all things new and that he has called you to partner with him in that work. And so this is a call for us not to be imitations of the real thing. Don't be an impure imitation of salt that's absolutely useless. Don't be an imitation follower of Jesus because if we lose our saltiness, if we lose what makes us who we are, our centering and the good news of Jesus and following him in obedience in the way that we live, we just can't fulfill our function. How can we salt? How can we be salt without our saltiness? We can't lose our grounding in the gospel if we're going to fulfill our purpose. And we were certainly created for a purpose as people redeemed in Christ. And that's what verse 14 continues to talk about here. Listen to this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And so with this image of light we see here, this gives us a picture of the purpose we were created in Christ to fulfill. <clears throat> so light, it pierces through the darkness. It's not like light is trying to do that. It can't help it. By its nature, light pierces through the darkness. It illuminates the dark. And so we, in the same way, are called to be people who reflect the light of God to the world. We are to show who God is to the world around us by people, by being people who are changed by the good news. The light of God shines through us as God himself dwells in us. And so the light shouldn't be hidden, really. I mean, we all know light can't be hidden. But he's saying here it shouldn't be hidden, like a city on a hill. But, I mean, even if you could hide light, if you could hide it, why would you want to do that? It just doesn't make sense. That's what he's saying. Why would you light a lamp and put it, put it under a basket? It doesn't make any sense. The whole purpose of light is that it can illuminate the world around it. And so what he's telling his listeners here is that the new life that's inside of them, because of the present kingdom, because of him entering into their lives, it's not something that is to be just for them. They can't take the good news and remove themselves from culture. They can't just enter into safe places where they won't be at risk of sin affecting them in any way. What Jesus is calling his people to here is to be a counterculture 
to be salty, to be a counterculture, be different from those who haven't been saved, but be a counterculture for the common good. They're to be a benefit to the world around them by being people who are different because they've been impacted by Jesus Christ. And so we can all think of groups within the Christian church that say, you know what, we are called to be a different kind of people because God has met us with grace in our lives. So let's sequester ourselves and be very safe. We can't let the world impact us because it's a dark place out there. There's a lot of sin out there and we need to be a pure people, so stay away. What Jesus is saying here is that is the last thing that Jesus Christ's followers are to do. They're not called to retreat and run away and be safe and hide from sin. They're called to enter into the darkest places and shine the light of God, to bring the good news of the kingdom to the world around them as they share who Christ is and as they minister to the world in Jesus' name, showing them God's values through acts of compassion, acts of mercy, kindness, and love. We're to be a counterculture for the common good. That's our purpose. And so we see here in verse 16, if we, if we read through this passage like it was a story, verse 16 would actually be uh, the climax of the story. This phrase where he says, let your light shine before others, that's the imperative. That's the only imperative, the only command statement in this passage here of these three verses. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so that phrase, let your light shine before others, we are instructed here to shine the light. And the way that we're instructed to do it is through our good deeds. And so that's the purpose that we are saved for. We're saved as individuals and we're gathered together as a people. We're gathered together as a people. Guys, sometimes we can find ourselves thinking about passages like this about you know, this is about only me and my walk of faith in Jesus, so what do I need to do to get this right? But this is something that we are just as much called out to do corporately together. We are called to be a people of salt and light, that the world might see Jesus and his impact on reality by the way that we live together as we show the world a people who are unified, people from all kinds of different countries, places, personalities, backgrounds, temperaments, interests, where else but the church do you hang out with people who are so different from you and say, you are my brother, you are my sister. No greater love is this, that one might lay down their life for his friends. Man, that is something that is very unique to the Christian faith, that we can say, God paid it all for me, so I'm willing to lay it down out of love for others. Man, that's powerful stuff. So we are called to this as a people, to be a people who shine the light of Jesus Christ in our world as individuals and as a community together. And so that was the purpose that Jesus Christ was calling his listeners to back then, and that's the purpose that we are called to today. I don't think it's been, uh, it's probably been two messages since I referred to this verse, and that's about average for me. Ephesians 2, chapter 10, one of my favorite verses, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. That's what this passage is talking about. And what are those good works that we're called to? What are those good deeds that we're called to? We're called to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in our relationships, in our friendships, to all of the world, every place that we go, not just through our words, but in our actions, through those acts of compassion, justice, kindness. We're called to reach out. We're called to be people of salt and light as we shine, as God inside of us works in us and through us. And so, first things first, as we think about this, sometimes we can hear passages like this, and um, this is certainly big picture stuff. 
And we can hear things about serving through acts of love and compassion and good deeds. And it can be kind of intimidating because what do we, what do we really know about where we should go with something like that? There are so many directions we can go. There are so many needs before us. And I want to apply those a little bit for each of you personally here in a few minutes. But I want to say first things first, that knowing and enjoying relationship with God and resting and rejoicing in what he's done for us in Jesus Christ has to be the basis of our service. We're not serving to earn God's favor. We're serving because we know that Jesus loves us. We know that we do have a good father, as that song shared. And there's nothing that we can do to make him love us any more than he already does because he loves us completely. And no matter how bad we mess up, he's not going to love us any less because when he looks at us, he sees Jesus Christ. He sees Christ in you. And Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so rest in that. Rejoice in that. That God's grace on your behalf is secure. But don't hold that in. When you get good news like that, when you have new life, that is something that inspires us. That is something that drives us to want to live in such a way that others can see the difference that Jesus Christ makes. The way that he gives us hope. The way that he gives us peace that passes our understanding no matter what our circumstances. Because the world around us, you're going to meet a lot of people who their, their day is going to be good if their circumstances are good. They're going to have hope if they can say, I know that I'm going to be able to get myself to where I want to be. They're going to have joy when they know that where they're at is going to be pain-free. It's going to be something that their pleasures are going to be fulfilled according to their own will and their wishes. But we as a people of hope, people of joy, people of peace, our foundation is in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And that's something that can never change. That is something that we bring to the world that is desperately needed. You want to talk about salt and light, hope, peace, and joy in Jesus Christ. That's a testimony right there. And so, as we think about this, being the church, being a people of salt and light, being a people who reflect the light of Jesus in our world. I want to tell you that we have to continue, continually go back to the truth that who we are is as a result of what God has done for us. It's a result of His grace. And so as we think about that, I want you to think about a few questions. The first one I want you to consider is this. How does your faith in Christ make you distinct from the non-believers around you? As you think about how to serve, as you think about what God is calling you to bring to his kingdom mission through the ways he's gifted you, through the ways he's equipped you, through the ways he's positioned you here in Bloomington, here in the United States. As you think about all those things, I want you to think about this. How does your faith in Christ make you distinct from the non-believers around you? What's the difference in the way that you live your life, in the way that you treat people, in the way that you deal with conflict? What's different about the way you live your life because Jesus has saved you? And... The next question I want to ask you is this. Where is God leading you to shine his light, and how is he leading you to do it? And so I want you to think about those opportunities. I want you to think about the people around you. I want you to think about the ways he's wired you and equipped you. Where is God leading you to shine his light, and how is he leading you to do it? And so as you consider those questions, I, I don't want you to just uh, scribble down some notes based on what seems to make sense for, me, for you. First of all, I think we all need to check our hearts and consider where we're at right now. Where are our hearts? Are we living lives of devotion and obedience to Christ? Are we loving Him because we know that He first loved us? That's the first thing we have to do in considering these questions. But once 
once you've done that, I want you to think about that. Where is God leading you to shine his light? How is he leading you to do it? You know, this is interesting to think about. I've been where you're all sitting, and it wasn't all that long ago that I was in college myself. I know there are two groups here. In the first group, some of you are so in the moment kind of people that you are you have a hard time thinking about what you're going to be doing in an hour, let alone what you're going to be doing in 10 years. Um, you're the kind of people who just are so excited to be in community, to be relational, and to go to the next party and have a great time. And you know what? I wish I was more like you. Um, I'm, I'm a planner. We'll get to my problems later. But first of all, your problems. Those of you who are in the moment. I want you to think about how God is calling you to serve right now, for sure. I want you to invest in this campus. Make those relationships count. Make the most of this opportunity. You've got four years to be on a campus with 40,000 of your peers, and a lot of them are going out all over the world, and they're struggling with these questions. They want to know who they are. They're looking for answers. Build friendships with non-believers. Get to know them. Share what God has done in your life. Encourage them in their own journey of faith. You never know when God's going to choose to act. You never know who he's going to choose to act through, but it may well be you. So own the place that God's put you in. Make the most of that. But I also want to encourage you, think about where God is calling you in the future. Think about the big picture. What passions has he put on your heart? What ways has he gifted you uniquely? What kind of personality has he given you? What things drive you nuts? What things give you great joy? Gather those experiences that you've had and think about that. Dream about it. How has God called you to serve his kingdom? How has he called you to be a person of salt and light in this world? It's no accident God has made you exactly the way you are. You might be someone whose biggest passion is juggling and speaking French. And you're like, man, like, how am I ever going to get a job? And God's like, man, I've been looking for the perfect missionary to be a French a juggler in Paris. I don't know, but I know that God can use you, and I know that he's wired you the way you are for a purpose. And so don't doubt for a second that God's going to use you. Follow him in faith, and don't be afraid to dream about where he might send you in the future. Now the second group of you, all of you people who are planners, like me, uh, man, I wish that I could be more in the moment, because I couldn't be standing here right now preaching and thinking about, man, when's dinner going to start? Or... Uh, any of you have that issue where sometimes you can be so forward-thinking that you look back and say, wow, I wish I would have lived in the present for once because I had a totally awesome opportunity in front of me and I didn't make the most of it. Listen to me. This is a special time of your life. God has you where you are for a reason. He wants you here at IU. He wants you in the dorm you're at. He wants you with the roommates that you have. He wants you on the team you're on. Crew, CSF the Taekwondo club or the origami team. Where you are, God has you there for a reason. I was on a very competitive origami team, guys. Serious stuff. God has you where you are for a reason. And so take ownership of that mission. Don't graduate and say, I wish I would have made the most of that opportunity when I was there, because you can't go back. Own the mission that God has you in right now. And think about where you want to be in the future. And then once you get there, own that opportunity too, all right? God's going to continue to lead you. He's going to continue to direct you. He's always been faithful in that myself. So that's a lesson I wish I would have learned five years ago instead of having to learn it again every single week. Um, own the mission God has put in front of you guys. And so uh, we're going to close now. And I want, to, I want to invite the band to come forward, but I'm going to unpack this song a little bit as we head into it. We're going to sing the song Mighty to Save. And I really like this song. And you might think, why would you sing the song Mighty to Save after this message? And the reason we chose this message 
is because I really like the way it emphasizes the way that we are called to serve the world with compassion. We're a people of salt and light who shine God's light into the world as he worked in us and through us. But we do that out of the knowledge of God's deep compassion for us. We serve because we've been met with the grace of God. He saved us. And so when we take that in and when we let it affect us, when we say, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, man, that's a beautiful way to serve. And that's what we're called to. We have the privilege of serving. We have the privilege of joining God in his mission because he's met us with grace. When those challenges before us are bigger than we seem, uh, than seem possible for us to face, we can take confidence knowing that God is with us, that he's going to fill us with his spirit. He's going to empower us to serve. And he's already supplied for us in a way that we needed most through his own son. And so why don't we pray together? You can go ahead and stand. And we're going to pray, and then we're going to close with this song, Mighty to Save. Father God, we, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth of scripture. We thank you that, uh, God, you have entered into human existence, that you have come to our story, that you have entered into real time and space, and you've entered into our lives. God, you revealed yourself to us, and that's certainly apart from our deserving. You've given us, even scripture is a gift, God, that we might be able to see words about who you are, and words of light, words of hope, words of truth in a dark world. Uh, God, we thank you that um, you have given us each hope as people through your Son. And we take that hope that you've given us, and, and Lord, we ask that you would fill us up with your Spirit, that we would be people who are able to reflect it, that we would be people who show the difference that Jesus makes, that we would be people of hope, that we'd be people of joy, people of peace in our world. That we would serve because you have served us so greatly. You laid down your life for us. And so we pray in this last song that um, if there's anything that needs to happen in our hearts, that you would just uh, speak words to us. God, that as we go out from here onto campus, as we go out from this place when we graduate, that we would be people who shine the light of Jesus in this world because you've met us in such a beautiful way. And we pray this together in your holy and precious name. Amen.